Well, that's a lot of stuff. I've been gone for a while, but let's get into the Word, okay? Can we do that? I'm in Ephesians chapter 3, uh, starting with verse 14. If you're a guest today, then please know that we are teaching the Bible one book at a time. And uh, taking that, that uh, scripture verse by verse. Now, there has been a prayer that has been instrumental in the series, this major teaching in Ephesians that we've read each week. And today I'm going to build on that teaching. It's fascinating to me how I get so busy that sometimes I miss things. But having been off for two weeks, I realize there's a statement in that prayer, the first part of the prayer, that somehow got eliminated, and I've added it back in. But now today, I want to add to that prayer the second half, that, or, or I should say, there's two apostolic prayers in the book of Ephesians that Paul prays for believers at Ephesus. And today, I want to add in that second prayer. So this prayer is a um, prayer that's adapted from prayers that Paul prayed in Ephesians chapter 1 and Ephesians chapter Tell you what, I'm going to save my voice, and I'm just going to ask you all to read this prayer together. I think we have it on the next screen, so there it is. Would you all read this together? Stop. Did you see those words right there, so that we may know you better? That is such a priority here, and that is the statement, that first whole section that you just read. I don't know how that got eliminated, but I'm glad I had the quiet time to realize we need to be praying that prayer. Okay, so carry on with the prayer. Would you go on? Oh, and there's another one. Keep going. Keep going. Amen. Beautiful to hear you praying those words, the words of the Apostle Paul. Now, before we get into our text, a series of questions here. What is the most important principle of the Christian life? If you want to live the victorious Christian life, what is the one thing you must know? If you were to put it in a sentence, what would that sentence be? If you were to sum up what Jesus would want us to know in a sentence, what would that sentence say? What is the most important thing about the Christian faith that if you get this right, it will take care of the rest? In a sentence, what is it that if we understand this thing will take care of your personal shortcomings and your weaknesses while at the same time magnify the incredible potential of our Heavenly Father? 
And I ask those questions because much of what now takes place in the book of Ephesians, from now to the end, deals with such questions as, as these. It's about the walk of the believer, <coughs> and it's about how to live the victorious Christian life. And so this is the basis to which we approach Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14. And notice what it says there, for this reason. Now, next to that word reason, you might want to write the word cause. And if you compare that word for this reason with verse 1 of the same chapter, it's the exact same statement. But today, I'm compelled to emphasize this word cause. Paul's cause, the Apostle Paul's cause, was to preach Christ to Jews and Gentiles alike. In preaching Christ, he also wanted to know, them to understand the incredible, the vast resources that God has put at their disposal in Christ without distinction between Jews or Gentiles. Very important because in this culture, Paul's upbringing, uh, the way Paul understood things previous to this new revelation in him, you could not put Jews and Gentiles on the same page. You could not put the clean and the unclean together. But all of a sudden, Paul has this new revelation, and he wants them to know. And he's saying it's for this cause. Okay, So here he is, sitting as a prisoner of Rome, yet he's victorious because Christ is in him. And what drives him is that the world may know. Now, in just those three words, for this cause, there's a very important application for those of us who are part of, of Summit Church. And that application is, what is it that you would lay your life down for? There, there are many causes that are worth living for, but what is a cause to you that is worth dying for? And there, in a very real sense, some of us may say, well, our country. Uh, in a very real sense, some of us may, may say, our family. But what are those things of eternal significance that are worth giving your life for? And I would propose to you there are three causes that each build upon the other, and you cannot have one without the other. The first one is the cause of Christ. The cause of Christ, because Christ is about the good news of the coming kingdom and God preparing people for that kingdom. The second is the cause of the church. And yes, you heard me correctly, because Jesus himself taught us that the only way that anyone will ever see Christ in you is by your relationship with God's people. If you want God to be glorified, it's glorified in how we are toward one another. So the cause of Christ, the cause of the church, and then the third is the cause of commission. Now, it, it works like this. We, we all know people who claim to have a relationship with Christ, and they claim to know Christ, yet they don't want to have anything to do with the church. I'm a believer. I just don't do anything with God's people. You might as well put it that way. I don't want anything to do with the church. Yet Christ was very clear when he said this, in John 13, 34, he said a new command. He's talking to his closest followers, and he says, a new command I give you, 
love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So it's very clear in verses like this that Christ talking to his closest followers wants them to understand how they are to relate to each other. I didn't say this. This isn't about what Michael Descoli has in his agenda. This is about what Christ wants us to know. And what does he want us to know? That he desires we love one another. What does that mean? <laughs> it means love one another, warts and all. And it's so easy to, to go to church and find fault with people, to point out what's wrong with people, and, and somehow miss our own struggles and our own issues. And it's out of that that we begin to understand the heart of God, who knows us better than anybody else, yet he still loves us. So it forces the question, does your love for the body of Christ prove your love for Christ, or does it undermine your love for Christ. And please, no, I am not talking, you know me, if you've been coming around here very long, I'm not talking about some institution of church. I'm not talking about some denomination of church or some doctrinal uh, persuasion. But when it comes to God's people, the greatest evidence of the Holy Spirit at work in a person's life is found in their response to the body of Christ, to God's people. Can we get an amen there at all? Okay, not sure about that one. That was a good amen, though. Awesome. But on the same vein, we all know people who, who claim to know Christ and be in relationship with Christ, yet they could care less about getting the good news of the kingdom of God to those who don't know the good news of the kingdom of God. And, and it's like we're really good, or, or they can be really good at saying what's wrong with the people of the world and why they don't like the people of the world and why they disagree with the people of the world and wonder what's wrong with the people of the world and why the people of the world do things the way they do, but never ever doing anything to pray for them to love them, to reach out to them, or to share the good news of the kingdom with them. But Christ said this. This is from Matthew 9. It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. Look at Jesus' words. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. Did you get that? So much of what goes on in the church seems to me that it's about what are you sacrificing, yet Jesus says right here what he really wants to see from us is mercy, how we treat others, how we're lifting others and giving people things that they don't deserve, the way God gives us things that they don't deserve. So I desire mercy, not sacrifice, for I have not come to call the righteous toward sinners, or the righteous but sinners. So it forces the question, what is your attitude toward those who do not know the good news of the kingdom? What is your response to those who don't have the Holy Spirit working in their lives and don't have the power of God at work in your life? Is it their lives? Is it is it critical? Is it an attitude of refusing to understand them 
pushing them away, saying, I don't want anything to do with them, don't even get close to me, and then we send them that message with our body language, or are we in Christ loving them, reaching out to them, when we have opportunity, sharing the good news of the kingdom with them, and by all means, being the good news of the kingdom of God to them. So, cause, for this cause, Paul laying down his life for the clean and the unclean alike. Going back to the text, verse 14. For this cause, I kneel before the Father. Does the cause you've given your life for cause you to fall to your knees? And I don't want to get legalistic about this falling to your knees business because it's more about the attitude of your heart and understanding the heart of God and forcing us into this position of a deep dependence upon God, that God, I need your help, and, and I come before you humbly, and that's what this is about. So, for this reason, I kneel before the Father from whom his whole family in heaven and earth derives its name. Thank you for the water, Tom. This is warm and feels much better. How are we doing so far? Good? I feel good. It is really good. My vocal cords are down here, and uh, where my tonsils were are up here, so I'm trying to speak from down here, and it works pretty well. So, And I, I have doctor's permission to talk to you today, so we're, we're good. I'm not going to die or anything on stage, all right? Yeah. <laughs> from whom the whole family in heaven and earth derives its name. And what you need to see there is that we share the Father's name. Did you catch that? See, what this is really about, it's about a, a surname. In Christ, we share the surname of our Heavenly Father, not only with one another as the church and the body of Christ, but also with heavenly beings. Okay. Now, uh, Valerie and me have done most of our life together as the Descoli Four. <laughs> Valerie, Michael, Carly, and Chloe. And uh, here we are, we're at a place in our lives where we're finding ourselves more and more doing life together as two, yet we know we're still four because my daughters still share my name and, and we share a name together. She's taken my name, she's taken that, traded in that simple name that anybody could spell, Jones, <laughs> for the name Descoli, and for whatever reason she likes that. What we need to understand here is this whole business of family points us to a greater family, and that's the family of God. And in the kingdom of God, God is Father, and primarily He is Father to His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. So right in God alone, we get an image of family in that we begin to see Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So in a very real sense, our earthly family points us to our heavenly family, but this also expresses itself in other ways in that God is Father, we are His children. Jesus is the bridegroom. We are the bride as the church, and we anticipate the day of the bridegroom coming because there's going to be this incredible wedding on that day. Yet at the same time, God is expressed in Scripture as being this nurturing mother. 
So what we need to understand here is that when a man and woman come together in holy matrimony and she takes on his name, which is the surname, that's a picture of what God wants to do in our lives when we come to faith in Christ, and that is he wants us to take on his name so that husband, wife, and children on earth is a picture of something greater that's going on in the kingdom of God. We are family. <laughs> we are family. My mama and my brothers and me. That, that's not even the right words, right? Yeah. Oh, well. Yeah. We share a common <laughs> family name. That's right. And, and this is all suppo supposed to point to that. Now, the reason that marriage is dysfunctioning on earth, because someone may be sitting there kind of cynically and saying, yeah, we see how that's worked out. Well, the reason is, is because we have no capacity of living selflessly in a marriage or in any other kind of relationship unless we're understanding that that has to flow from a deeper relationship with our God. And the reason that divorce is so high in America is because God has low priority. The reason it's the same in the church is because people are living for them fle their flesh instead of being surrendered to, the God, to, to their God at one level or another, and that cannot coexist. You say, boy, that sure is uh, pretty narrow and black and white. Well, I just believe God wants to be glorified, and the primary way he's going to be glorified is through love, empowered love that comes from his Holy Spirit working in our lives. And then we'll see this as we go on. So now we come to the second apostolic prayer. Man, I feel like I'm talking a long time today. Do I have a lot of extra words today? Put the preacher away for uh, three weeks, and guess what happens, huh? He comes back wound up tighter in the spring. It's all good. Second apostolic prayer, verse 16. This is what we added to our prayer this morning. He says, I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. So it's important that we notice that what Paul wants us to have here is the fullness of Christ that is made possible by the Holy Spirit operating in our inner being. So Paul understands that if we're ever going to operate out of kingdom power, if we're ever going to experience the kind of oneness that God wants us to experience as the body of Christ or in any kind of relationship, if we're ever going to operate out of the level of love that God wants us to operate out of, if we're ever going to truly glorify God, if we're ever going to understand prayer, if we're ever going to understand the word of God, not only by head knowledge, but by heart knowledge as it's coming alive in our spirits, it's going to be because the Holy Spirit is doing a deeper work in our inner man. And earlier on, I asked the question, or I asked a series of questions, what is the most important principle to living the victorious Christian life? And what we see right here is what this is all about. Now, someone might argue the most important key to the victorious Christian life is about loving God and loving our neighbor. And, and that might be a, a good thought, but truth be known that, that unless the, that love is flowing from the deeper work that the Holy Spirit is doing in our inner man, we're going to fall short every time. And we're going to try to justify all this stuff and say, you can't possibly expect me to love like that. Well, I don't, but I do expect the Holy Spirit to be glorified in your life so that you're loving beyond your natural means. Somebody else could say the most important thing in 
the Christian experience is to know the Word of God. Yet to understand the Scripture is to know that the Bible itself declares that increased head knowledge only bolsters the ego, right? Only inflates the head so that we're kind of proud of how much Scripture we know. It puffs up. And, and what God wants to do is to cause the Word of God to come alive in our inner man because of what the Holy Spirit's doing at the core of who we are. Someone else might say, and, and this is very valuable, that the most important thing is your relationship with God. It's about abiding with Christ. Or as we say so often around here, our one application that usurps all of their applications, what is that application? Yes, and that's good. But I propose to you today that in each of those pictures, there is the possibility of trying to do it out of the flesh, which only leads to discouragement, whereas God wants us to draw near to him out of the deeper reality of surrender because we want the fullness of the Holy Spirit operating in our inner man, which creates the capacity of Christ dwelling in us fully so the key to the victorious christian life is to recognize that it is the holy spirit who is god with us who is the source of all things who can strengthen us to understand the word of god who can strengthen us to know what it means to love one another strengthen us in love strengthen us in oneness strengthen us in in the word of god coming alive in our spirits causing us to be the kind of light and witnesses that he wants us to be so that in the end, if anything good flows from our lives and somebody happens to get a glimpse of it, the only thing he would say is, well, don't look at me. Give all the glory to him because it's only a result of his spirit working in my inner man. Praise God. Amen. Yes. So Jesus said, if anyone is thirsty, if anyone's recognizing he's operating out of a dry well, right? If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within him. By this he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time, the Spirit had not been given since Jesus had not yet been glorified. So right here in our text, we have the Apostle Paul, this amazing spiritual leader in prison, praying for people outside of prison, people that he's influencing in order that they might experience the power of the Holy Spirit working in their inner being so that they might have the fullness of Christ operating in their lives. Oh, how we need the Holy Spirit at work in our inner being. Yet we're so afraid of the Holy Spirit. We think of ghosts and all kinds of things and we don't know if we want to manifest himself in any particular way but friend we need the holy spirit because i'm afraid too much of what goes on in churches today is being done out of the flesh too much of what's being done in churches today is being done out of someone's need to prove themselves and prove their abilities or to live up to someone else's expectations too much of the of what goes on in the church today is being built out of out of these outward laws that people of the 
community of church want to impose on each other and say, if you want to be part of our holiness club, this is what's required. But I'm here today to tell you that all those laws and rules that churchy people want to impose upon you will not move you one iota to a greater and stronger and more victorious walk with Christ. It's only about the Holy Spirit being glorified in our lives. So back to our statement that he might strengthen you with power. That's dunamis, where we get our word dynamite. This is about, this is about reality. Through his spirit in your inner being, verse 17, so that Christ may dwell. Now circle that word dwell, because the word dwell means, that word is a complex word that means that he might take up permanent residence in your heart's through faith. So what this is all about, it's really about Jesus being glorified in your life because the Holy Spirit is operating in your life because the Father and the Son and the Spirit have this thing where they're all pointing to each other. If you see one, you have to see the other, and they're all glorifying each other, and they're not demanding attention to themselves, but they're always pointing to the other. Look to the Spirit, look to the Son, look to the Father. This is what's going on. Jesus wants full residence in your life, that he might dwell in you, take up permanent residence. Now, some of you wonder why I jump around in Scripture so much. And the reason is, is because I want you to see how all Scripture ties together, okay? So that we don't have isolated Scriptures, one here and one there, but it's all basically saying the same thing. And it's important that we see how the Scripture works together. So if you go over to John chapter 14, Jesus makes this statement, and this is a very familiar statement, particularly if you've been to funerals, it's used a lot there, where Jesus says, in my Father's house are many mansions. Now, your Bible might say houses, might say rooms, okay? That word is the word dwelling place. In my Father's house there, wait, in my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. Now, in that same statement, a little while later, in verse 23, Jesus also says this, If anyone loves me, he will obey my teachings. My Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home our dwelling place with him now please notice the contrast of what's going on here in john 14 2 jesus says that he's preparing a dwelling place for you his followers but if you go down a few verses later he says that if we obey his commands that he will make us his dwelling place now this is very important in light of ephesians 3 uh, 17 because too often in the Christian experience, we are told or asked and invited to allow Christ to come into this tiny part of our lives called our hearts. Have you invited Christ into your heart? But if you look here, what Paul is saying is that he wants the Spirit of God to dwell in your inner being in order that you might grasp 
the fullness of God. And so Jesus is saying in John 14 that as we choose to do the will of God, it's in that place that we're allowing Christ to have full residence. Now, some may be sitting there and saying, well, this is kind of sounding like a works gospel, but it's not. This is about God being fully glorified because the question is, is the hallmark of your Christian experience some moment long ago when you were so noble as to say, I invited Jesus into this little space called my heart, or are you allowing Christ to fully own you as the Holy Spirit operates out of your inner man so that Christ may fully dwell in you and thus be fully glorified. And, and honestly, it's not talking about getting more of God into our lives, but it's talking about God getting more of us. It's about understanding and allowing the Holy Spirit and saying, listen, I'm tired of doing life my way. <laughs> I want you to have your way with me. I surrender to you. I want the fullness of you in my inner man because my walk has proved that I fail again and again and again. So I just want to challenge you right here to consider Ephesians 3.17, then go look at John 14.2 and 23 and consider, does Christ really have you? Have you ever gone and visited a place where you feel really uncomfortable? I mean, you know it's just not home. Huh? And you almost want to click your heels three times and say there's no place like home. And you, you almost want to open your eyes and be in that comfortable place where faces are familiar and the furniture is familiar and people are with you that, that understand you and know your history and your past. It's about being at home. And this is what this is talking about. Oh, that God's spirit would so indwell our inner being that Christ is fully at home with us. That's what this is talking about. Back to verse 16, the prayer, I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And keep in mind, he's praying for the believers at Ephesus. That's what's happening here. You know, sometimes I grieve the Holy Spirit. I mean, I may want to walk with Christ and I may want to do what he wants me to do, but times I grieve him by pushing him aside and saying, right now, I'm going to do what I want to do. And when I become aware of, of, my, of a situation in my life that grieves the Holy Spirit, an attitude or an action that I know I'm saying to, to God, listen, please step down from the throne of my life for this moment because I'm going to take the throne here. I'm taking charge. It's important that right now I recognize, right there, I recognize what's happening and I exercise what has been called spiritual breathing. Spiritual breathing, just like we learn to breathe physically, we need to learn to breathe spiritually. And, and spiritual breathing involves exhaling. It's about confession. Confession, we get it all complex as though we're asking God to do something he hasn't already done. But confession is about facilitating that which God has already put in place. So confession is about agreeing with God about what he, are, what he already knows. He knows that we've pushed him off the throne. He knows that his Holy Spirit's been grieved. So we agree with him about what he already knows. And at that point, our attitude needs to be one of repentance that 
I don't want to do life my way. I want to do life God's way. And so when we approach him this way with agreeing, exhaling, we implement his promises such as 1 John 1, 9 that says if we agree with God, if we confess our sins, he's talking to believers, he's faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness, okay, based upon what Christ has done. So then I inhale, okay, exhale is confession, inhale is surrendering the throne of my life again to the Holy Spirit, which is about receiving the fullness of the Spirit and saying, I want you to live and reign and take control of the command center of my life according to his command in Ephesians 5 that says, don't get drunk with wine that leads to excess, but be being filled with the Holy Spirit. And his commands where he says, or his promises, where he says, if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know we have received that which we have asked from him. So before I go on, I just want to take a moment. Let's just pause right here. And this is between you and God. Is there some area of your life that you know you've been grieving the Holy Spirit? Just agree with God about that. He already knows. Yeah, thank you, Lord, that you know. Thank you, Lord, that you've covered that through what Christ accomplished on the cross. I want to turn from that. I want to do your will. Exhale. And then inhale. Invite the Holy Spirit to again retake his proper place at the throne of your life, taking control of your command center so that you're surrendered. I want to do your will, Lord, and not my will. Thank you, Lord, for hearing my prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's go on with the text. And I pray that you being rooted. Now circle that word rooted right there because if rooted means anything, it means what's going on below the surface, which means what's going on where no one can see what's happening here. And it's about what you're feeding off of, what you're drinking from. It's about what you're tapping into. Do you understand that? You being rooted and established. So now established is talking about that which is going on above the surface or on the surface it's the plant that everybody can see but notice it's the root it's the result of the root it's the result of what's being tapped into and I'm afraid too often in the Christian experience we learn to look good on the surface but what we need to focus on is what's going on where nobody's looking okay but what's he talking about here he's praying I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the saints, and that's you and me, believers, saints. I know we're uncomfortable with that, but that's what it's talking about. May have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge. Now notice the play on words that Paul is using right here, because what he's doing is he's praying that we will understand that which is beyond our capacity of understanding. <laughs> Are you serious? 
Yes. And, and what's unfortunate about the Christian experience is that so much sounds superficial to us. Like, are you kidding me? Walk in power? Are you kidding me? Understand love to a degree that goes beyond my understanding? So that if we're operating out of love and someone asks you to explain it, you can say, well, I have no clue. <laughs> because this is God's love. It's beyond me. That you may be filled, and that word is playroom right there, which means packed full to the measure of all the fullness of God. Well, how much is the fullness of God? One thing's for sure, it's more than you or me can contain, right? That's what this is talking about. <coughs> I'm getting excited now. I'm starting to shout. Is anybody glad they showed up today? <laughs> me too. I love you guys. And more importantly, he loves you. All right? Yeah. So, what this is about, it's about Christ. And we're going to see this before we're done. And we're, and we're almost done. So you're good. Okay? It's talking about packed full to the point that it's uncontainable. Packed full of Christ to the point that it is uncontainable. Friday night, I made my chocolate fondue. All right? And the key to awesome chocolate fondue, believe it or not, is a substance of marshmallow cream. Gross stuff. And when you open a container of marshmallow cream, it is going to pop. <laughs> because it's been packed to the point that it shouldn't be able to be contained in that container. So it's packed in, and when you break the seal, poof, <laughs> it comes out. <laughs> I love it. And this is, this is what we're dealing with right here. It's being so full of Christ that if somebody even gets close to us, it's like poof. <laughs> and we popped all over them, and they've been showered with blessings, the blessings of what Christ is doing in our inner man. Listen, the Beatles almost had it right when they sang the words, all you need is love. Wah, 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 wah. All you need is love, love. Love is all you need. But they only understood phileo love, brotherly love. They only stood, understood eros love, erotic love. What they failed to understand is that there is a love from the kingdom of God that says, I love you when you're un unlovable. I love you because I love you because I love you. And there's nothing that you will ever do or say or think that will ever stop me from loving you. And the Beatles did not understand this, so they fell short on the greatest love of all. And this is the kind of love that God wants to infuse you with, a love that says, I know they don't deserve love, but somehow I still love them. And yet we're going around saying, you got to be kidding me. You want me to love them? No, I want Christ to so fill you with his love that he's loving them through you, and you're blown away because you're operating out of things that you don't even understand. Huh. How does this work? Well, it's the rest of the chapter. Because notice it suddenly takes 
the focus off of you and me. Now to him who is able. He's able. I'm not able. He has the power. I lack the power. He loves this way. I fail to love this way. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more. And here's another example of the NIV Bible failing us. But I love the way the, uh, the Amplified gets, gets this when it says, Supernaturally far over and above. Now to him who is able to do super abundantly far over and above. And the Greek words there are hooper, one word. Akperathos, another word, and they all work together because hooper is like a sink that's starting to run over. But parathos is about not only is it running over, but it's pouring over. And when you add ek to parathos, it means there's a major flood going on here. So overflowing and, and spilling over and flooding and gushing so that anybody who gets around you is going to be affected from what's affected by what's happening because the Holy Spirit is working in your inner man and therefore Christ is fully indwelling you then all we could ever ask or imagine I've got too many translations in my brain all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us did you catch the key right there did you catch the key? The key to God being glorified in our love and in the way we operate is that his power is at work within us. And then it says, to him be the glory. <laughs> oh, when I was a young believer, I just was going to prove to the world that I was the epitome of the Christian man. And I just thank God for a young guy in my life that God put in my life. He used to see that, see right through me, and he'd start singing, To Mike be the glory, great things he has done. Oh my goodness. Not to me, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Friends, we do not have the power to live the Christian life in our own strength. The Christian life is an, impo is an impossibility. So Paul prays that he will strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Friends, we do not have the capacity to love the way God designed us to love and the way that he wants to help us to love. So Paul prays that we, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that we may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. And then Paul stops right there and realizes we can't do this and he makes the statement and gets us focused on God when he says he is able I'm not able he is able and he's going to do it with or without you but if you will become a vessel for him to fill he will involve you in the process oh. and I get so discouraged I said that can you believe the preacher just said that don't get discouraged you can't get you know why I get discouraged because I start looking at myself and I realize I don't have what it takes I don't have the mental capacity I don't have the love capacity 
I don't have the skills capacity to do the will of God. But when I'm reminded again that he is able and I get my eyes off of myself and onto him, then I know that he is able and is going to do super abundantly above and beyond anything I could ever ask, hope, dream, or imagine. And all of a sudden it's like, let me in in the party. I'm ready to go on. And if there's any reason that we need to come together as the body, it's because life gets discouraged, we get focusing on ourselves, and we realize that circumstances are way too big for us. What's going to happen to the economy? What's going to happen to the election? What's going to happen to the children? And we get looking at ourselves, I don't have what it takes, and we're defeated. Or we can say, but God is able, and he's still moving, and he's still working, and that means there's great potential in this situation. Amen. Is anyone discouraged this morning? Can I pray for you? Is anyone in need of greater capacity to love? Can I pray for you? Is anybody needing the Holy Spirit to dwell in your inner being so that Christ may have full residence in your life? Can I pray for you? Yeah. I'm going to invite the worship team up and We'll sing a song, and if I can pray for you, come up. If uh, somebody else wants to pray with you, they can come to you, and, and let's just let the Holy Spirit lead us.